please turn in your copy of God's totally trustworthy and true word to Genesis chapter 29, beginning there in verse 31. We'll study through chapter 30, verse 24. If you are using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page 24. Uh, when you arrive there, day text, um, if you don't know what I mean, you soon will. Uh, in, in some, the mothers in our text show less than noble and godly character at times. And yet they also teach us deep spiritual lessons. You know, once upon a time, it was believed that the hand that rocked the cradle ruled the world. But sadly, motherhood is much maligned in our day. Uh, regardless, there is scarcely a more noble and honorable vocation and responsibility than motherhood. Uh, hear these words from the 19th century minister, John Angel James, who said that consider that a mother's charge is to care for an immortal creature. Consider that a mother's duty is by God's grace to train him up for God, heaven, and eternity. Uh, consider a mother's difficulty, <laughs> mothers know this one, to raise a fallen, sinful creature to holiness and virtue by God's grace. Consider uh, that a mother's encouragement is the promise of divine grace to assist her in her momentous duties. Consider there. Consider is to bear the burden of her cares to God in prayer. Consider that a mother's hope, the heart and hope of every mother, is to, by the grace of God, meet her child in glory and spend the eternal ages of delight with him before the throne of God and the Lamb. Children, uh, give thanks to God for your mothers this day and every day. Uh, young men, aspire to marry a woman who wants to be a mother like this. Young women, aspire to be a mother who wants to raise children for the glory of God. Mothers, cast your cares upon the Lord. Depend upon his grace. And fathers, care for your wife and mother. Uh, everyone here, has been blessed by their mothers. Regardless of how present, how faithful and loving your mother was during the course of your life, she at least provided you with shelter and nourishment within her womb for several months. And you should give thanks to God, to her and to God for that. Let us cut against the grain of our culture. In word and in deed, let us magnify how the godly work of motherhood brings glory and honor to the God who ordained it. As we meet the mothers of Israel in our text, uh, we need to remember the vortex of events that has kind of unfolded in the life of Jacob. We're following his life now in the book of Genesis, and we've seen the Abrahamic promises of land and seed and blessing be passed on to Jacob by God visiting him in a dream at Bethel in Genesis 28. Then in the first portion of Genesis 29, we studied a few weeks ago, uh, Jacob was tricked by Laban. Uh, he had wanted to marry Rachel, the younger daughter, but Laban got him drunk on his wedding night and gave him Leah instead. And sinfully, Jacob still demanded to marry Rachel. And by the end of it all, he, he had married two wives. And so in our, our passage today, we see the disaster of polygamy. Uh, as I've said over and over again in this series, the Bible never commends polygamy. God has always 
and only intended for marriage to be between one man and one woman for life. Polygamy is contrary to God's design for marriage and Jacob's wives. They, and we'll see that exceedingly clearly in our passage today as Jacob's wives, they jockey for his attention and his affection. Uh, they use children and marital intimacy against one another. They even sinfully give Jacob more wives as they hand their servants over to him. It's a complete mess, and it's a startling Mother's Day text. And it was the Lord's providential choice. I did not plan for this passage clearly to land on, on this day, but it was the Lord's choice for us. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Um, these poor mothers, they fail to recognize, as our, our brother Jed so wonderfully pointed out, that only the Lord's love will satisfy. They, they fail to recognize that identity and meaning and hope are not finally found in the affections of a man or in munchkins, but in God alone. Marriage and children are a blessing from the Lord, and the Lord means for those blessings to point back to him. The remarkable grace of this passage is that the Lord compassionately fulfills his promises in our weakness and despite our wickedness. Beloved, that's the sermon in a sentence. The Lord compassionately fulfills. And while we examine the in our weakness and despite our wickedness, and while we examine the human actors and what they're doing in this passage, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. This is, and eventually bringing his, his history of nation building and eventually bringing his promised Messiah through these descendants. We're going to unpack this passage in four sections under four headings. Look to the Lord for love. That's point number one. Look to the Lord for love. Number two, depend upon the Lord in your despair. Depend upon the Lord in your despair. Number three, Cry out to God with your cares. Cry out to God with your cares. And number four, remember that God removes your reproach. Remember that God removes your reproach. And I believe there's a full outline provided there in your bulletin. If that helps you, go ahead and pull it out and use it to follow along. Let's begin with our first point. Look to the Lord for love. Look to the Lord for love. Follow along now as I read Genesis 29, verses 31 to 35. Genesis 29, verses 31 to 35. He opened, Lord Yahweh saw that Leah was hated. He opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord Yahweh has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son. And said, because the Lord Yahweh has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And again she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord Yahweh. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. In these verses, I think that we see Leah is moving from looking to Jacob for love to looking for the Lord for love. But notice who's the first person looking in our passage. 
It's the Lord. You see that in verse 31? When the Lord Yahweh saw that Leah was hated, the Lord had compassion on Leah. He sees her in her pitiable estate. And we, we know that she's the unloved wife from the verse right before our passage in Genesis 29. You see verse 30? Just look up one verse. You see what that verse says? It says, Jacob went into Rachel also. He's taking her as his wife, his second wife. And he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. How Leah must have been grieved. She was the unwanted wife of Jacob. Jacob might not have looked upon Leah in love, but the Lord did. Beloved, you need to know and believe that this is just like our God. James chapter 5, verse 11 teaches us this. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and how you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See, the Lord is compassionate and merciful to the afflicted. That's how he's ministering to Leah here. He, he sees his people. He sees you in the midst of your affliction, your pain, whatever it might be. The Lord has compassion, and he acts. The Lord is doing something kind and generous for Leah here. He opened her womb. He gave her the gift of children. He did not do the same for Rachel at this point in time. Here we're seeing that the Lord is the author of life. It's the Lord who gives children, and that's why all of them are precious and should be protected. They should be gladly received and rejoiced over. See, in verses 32 to 35, Leah, she has these four children, and she sees these children as being from the Lord's hand, but sadly, it's not until really the last son that she sees her eyes should have been looking to the Lord all along. With the arrival of Reuben there in verse 32, we can see that Leah, she's still longing to be loved by Jacob. The Lord has looked upon her affliction, but she wrongly believes that this child will lead Jacob to love her. She's desperate for Jacob's attention. Uh, Reuben's name means something like, look, behold, or see a son. And while Leah may be announcing that the Lord has looked upon her, what is clear is that she really hopes that Jacob will look upon her. She wants even the name as it's called, as Reuben's name is called, be like, Jacob, I gave you a son. Look at what I've done. Love me. He wants, she wants Jacob to see her in a whole new light. This hope comes out again with the arrival of her second son in Simeon. You see that in verse 33. So the Lord sees and now he hears. Simeon's name means to hear. And notice what she says this time. She understands this child comes from the Lord because the Lord has heard that she's hated. Leah is actually teaching us something profound and true about the Lord. He sees and hears the cries of his people. Leah, she, she must have carried this burden of her hatred to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 10 verse 17 teaches us, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline their ear. Christian, I wonder, do you understand this about our God? That he hears the cries of his people. That he's willing to listen. That he cares. If you're in pain, don't be prayerless. The Lord is listening. Tell him of the heaviness of your heart. The Lord, he gives Leah a child yet again there in verse 34. This time she names him Levi, which means attached. You can could, you could see what her hope is, right? Her hope is that finally... Her husband will be attached to her, to be affectionate toward her. 
all along, Leah has been longing for Jacob's love, and, and it's hard to blame her. Amazingly, and I, I think somewhat commendably, right, Leah hasn't given up on her marriage. She's been hated and hated and hated, and yet she remains open to love from Jacob, longing for love from Jacob. Her great comfort must be that the Lord has loved her all along. And with the arrival of Judah there in verse 35, that this truth is, I think, starting to settle in for her. Uh, she's starting to recognize that the Lord's love is enough. Uh, Judah's name means praise. And look at what she's committed to doing there. She says, this time I will praise the Lord Yahweh. This time there's no reference to Jacob. Perhaps Leah recognized that she's been pursuing Jacob's praise, when above all, she should be pursuing the Lord's praise. And now she will. And so should we. I mean, do you realize that Judah is the line through which the Messiah will come? He's worthy of praise. Right? The rest of the biblical storyline follows the lineage of Judah and time calls Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, as Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 calls Jesus. Leah praises because the Lord first loved her. You should respond to the Lord because he first loved us and sent his son Jesus Christ to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, Jesus has come to set his love upon unloved people like us, like you and me, and unlovely people like us. We're filled with sin. We're not particularly attractive in our sin. And yet Jesus came for sinners like us. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross, paying our sin debt, shedding our blood, cleansing us for the purpose of beautifying us. And he was raised from the grave on the third day so that unlovely people like us might know him and love him for all eternity. Well, friend, turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Don't spurn his love for you. Receive him in faith. Now notice, verse 35 ends by letting us know that Leah ceased bearing. Now, we don't know exactly why. Uh, maybe it was because she had to learn, had come to learn the lesson the Lord wanted to teach her in that season. Uh, that she should look to him for love and be satisfied by his love for her. Still the conclusion of verse 35 reminds us that even if, if Leah has ceased bearing, it reminds us that Rachel is actually still barren. And as Genesis 30 opens, we move from Leah's kind of burden of being hated to Rachel's bitterness. And what we'll learn in the, the next section of our text is that Rachel and Leah needed to learn to depend upon the Lord in their despair. This is our second point. Depend upon the Lord in your despair. Follow along as I read Genesis 30, verses 1 to 13. Genesis 30, verses 1 to 13. <clears throat> When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bill. I'm going to have children through her. Give birth on my behalf that I may even have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. And Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God, she called his name 
Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. Well, these verses, they reveal that neither Rachel nor Leah were depending upon the Lord to satisfy the discouragement and despair that was really clearly welling up within their hearts. Now, we first meet Rachel's despair there in verse 1. She's grieved that she's without children. When wives are barren, they are burdened. Uh, Godly women want children, and they want them for the right reasons. They want children because, as Psalm 127 verse 3 tells us, children are a blessing from the Lord. Now, barrenness remains a burden for godly wives today. So let us, let us pray for the couples near to us who desire to have children, but for some reason that God in his wisdom has not given them children. It, it's not an easy burden to bear, and so we should carry that to the Lord in prayer, plead with God for them and with them. Uh, if, if this is your burden, let me encourage you, as hard as it is to, to share that with your brothers and sisters in Christ, let them, let them come alongside you and help to bear that burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. Rachel's cry, did you notice her cry, give me children or I shall die? It's deeply troubling on a number of levels. It's, it's amazing that almost no one is getting what they actually want in this passage, right? Leah wants what Rachel has, Jacob's love. And Rachel wants what Leah has, Jacob's children. And Rachel's cry is troubling because it's reminiscent, actually, of the wicked manipulation of Rebekah just a few chapters earlier. Back in, in Genesis 26, 27, verse 46, um, Rebekah, she manipulated her husband Isaac with this similar death threat, actually, in order to get him to send Jacob away. But it is also troubling because it announces her envy, right? Envy is desire stained with resentment. Envy is desire stained with resentment. Not all desire is wrong, but desire stained with resentment over what others have and you don't have is actually soul-destroying. I mean, no wonder Rachel says, give me children or I shall die. Envy is soul-destroying. Listen to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. It says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. It's corrosive to the soul. Have you ever seen envy's corrosive effect in another person's life? It depletes their joy. It turns them away from depending upon the Lord. And look at who Rachel is demanding give her children. And who did we just learn gave Leah children? It was God. He answered her prayers. He opened her womb. And Rachel needs to cry out to God, to depend upon him. Now, the response of a tender-hearted husband to this almost death threat, right? She's using it in a manipulative way. A response of a tender-hearted husband would be filled with compassion. 
It would be filled with comfort. It would be filled with loving correction. But how does Jacob respond there in verse 2? Jacob responds with angry displeasure. He is theologically correct. He speaks the truth. He's not in the place of God. He does not have any power over these things. But then he presses on Rachel's wound of barrenness by saying, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? What a painful remark. Marriage can be so painful because we are so sinful. Being so close to one another, we know just how to kind of push one another's buttons and drive the deep wounds even deeper. And we can even do it through correct theology. Oh, husbands and wives, let us not do what Jacob does here. Let us not wound each other with our words. And when we do, let us repent and seek the Lord and our spouse's forgiveness. Jacob could have said, should have said, honey, I love you so much. I am so sad that the Lord has not given us a baby. I, I know this is hard. But let us go to God now. Let us pray. Let us pray that God would give us a child. Let us pray that for his glory and our good, he would give us a child. Let's remember that the Lord is able to do great things. He opened the womb of my grandmother when she was nearly 90 years old. Let's believe he has that power. He opened the womb of my mother, Rebecca, after my father prayed for her in her barrenness. We've known people who've gone through this before, and the Lord has been kind. Let's pray that he would give us a child. And whatever he decides to do, let us trust that he knows what is best for us. Let us pray that he would give us hearts that gladly receive his will for us, whatever it may be. Let us depend upon the Lord. I love you with all my heart. That's how Jacob should have responded. But sadly, Jacob's displeasure was followed by Rachel's sinful design. She's going to have a child one way or the other. So in verse 3, she designs this sinful scheme that we've actually seen before in the book of Genesis. She gives her servant Bilhah to her husband in order to be her surrogate. Uh, this is the same scheme that Sarah came up with with Abraham in Genesis chapter 16 when she was barren. Like Sarah before her, Rachel is depending upon the help of another woman instead of the help of the Lord for a child. Now, many scholars will point out that in the ancient Near East, this was actually a common custom, right? When the, when the mistress was unable to give birth, uh, a, a servant would become a surrogate in the household. But, beloved, worldly custom cannot be consecrated. Sin cannot be sanctified. And there is actually a current trend of surrogacy in our culture today. And it falls into this same category. And the Lord says, no, this is not the way. This is not my design. Depend upon me and my power. And in fact, Jacob should have compassionately corrected his wife and told her no. Jacob was persuaded by Rachel here. Now, husbands should always... And brothers, let me say, the wise and godly counsel of their wives should always prayerfully listen to the wise and godly counsel of their wives. 
you are a fool if you do not. But you should lovingly say no to a sinful and wicked counsel. And that's what Rachel gives here. And what follows is increasingly sad. While children are always a blessing from the Lord, Rachel understands the arrival of Bilhah's son, Dan, as a vindication of her desperate plight and depraved plan. Uh, Dan's name is related to the word for judged. I think Rachel is thinking that the Lord has rendered a judgment kind of in her favor. Ah, it worked, so he's for me. Uh, I, I don't think that she's actually thinking about this correctly. The Lord was kind to give Bilhah a son, but that doesn't mean that Rachel's analysis of what the Lord is doing is actually correct. And I think this is borne out in the arrival of the next son. Notice in verse 7 that the Lord is pleased to give Bilhah a second son. His name is Naphtali, which means wrestling. And, and what is Rachel's explanation there in verse 8? She's wrestled with her sister and she's won. She's depending upon her design for prevailing over her sister. And note, that's the wrong goal. Rachel's treating the bearing of children. Children are never to be treated of children as ammunition against her sister. Children are never to be treated as weapons against anyone. And this leads Leah to duplicate Rachel's design there in verses 9 to 13. Leah is, is no doubt grieved that she stopped kind of bearing children in verse 9. But uh, like Rachel and like Sarah, she should not give her servant Zilpah to Jacob as a wife. Like Bilhah, Zilpah bears Jacob two sons. The first son's name is Gad, which sounds like good fortune. And the second son's name is Asher, which means happy or blessed. I think it's actually the word that begins Psalm 1. But uh, notice that God's name is kind of absent in Leah's naming of her children. In the past, Leah had attributed her offspring to God, seeing her plight and hearing her cries. But here, that attribution kind of appears to be muted at least. Um, sadly, Leah, she followed Rachel's dependence upon a human design. And probably for the purpose of staying ahead kind of in the birth wars with her sister. She's lost sight of God and of praising him. And how often does that happen in our lives, right? We go on well for a, a period of time, trusting the Lord, depending upon him, and we fall off the wagon in our faith sometimes, don't we? I think that's probably what's happening here. And when our sinful plans prevail, it's unnatural to praise God. In the midst of all of this is Jacob. And again, Jacob should have lovingly told Leah, no. But what did Jacob do? He, he went along with the unholy plan. It's as corrupt as it is crazy. And yet the Bible tells us to look up to Jacob as a man of great faith. I mean, do you realize that? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21 tells us that Jacob is in the hall of faith. Now, not for this, obviously, but he's still there in Hebrews 11. Jacob has faith, but as we see here, he, he is deeply flawed. And isn't that true of you and me? Right? The, the Bible is true. It tells the true story of God's work in the world, and it doesn't hide the faults and the flaws and the fallenness of its heroes, which is why when we come to Jesus, we should be amazed that he's sinless. Right? No other person who enters the pages of Scripture is sinless. Every last one of them is fallen with a multitude of faults and flaws. And Jesus' sinlessness, his uniqueness, that he is the one that we're to depend upon for our salvation. Beloved, don't devise sinful schemes like Rachel and Leah. Don't agree to sinful schemes like Jacob. Depend upon Jesus. Call out to him to meet you 
in your difficulty and despair. The, the, the Bible says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Tell Jesus that you feel near to death. Tell Jesus that the grief of your heart is so unbearable that you need his relief. Tell Jesus that you're not going to make it without him, and he will meet you there. You can trust him to bear you up and bring you through, all the way through to glory. Depend upon God. Cry out to God. These two actually go hand in hand, and that's what we learn in our next point. Cry out to God with your cares. Follow along as I read Genesis 30, verses 14 to 21. Genesis 30, verses 14 to 21. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away also my son's mandrakes? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun and Dinah. She bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Uh, this is a strange scene. And surely one of its lessons is that children come from the maker. We're a plant that makes... Um, we must recognize that, that mandrakes in the ancient Near East were a plant that many believed were an aphrodisiac. Um, according to one scholar, uh, Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, was sometimes called the lady of the mandrake. Um, we might call mandrakes love fruits. Um, mandrakes were actually mentioned in the lover's book, the Song of Solomon. Uh, a mandrake was a kind of a small plant with a berry on top, and the root looked like a human torso with two legs. Not only were the mandrakes believed to be a plant which spurred vitality and virility, but they also encouraged fertility. Uh, they were believed to aid in the conceiving of a child. And so clearly Rachel desires the mandrakes because she believes they're going to help her conceive. Right? She's depending upon the mandrakes and not the maker for a child. And clearly they're costly as Leah uses them to bargain for a night with Jacob in the hopes that she'll gain his affection. Both women are depending upon mandrakes and not this reply is pretty sharp. Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? See, Leah remains unloved, and her pain is deep. Rachel's pain, I think, is deep too. And neither of them, again, are not, they're not getting what they want. They both depend upon the power of a plant instead of the power of God. Uh, they depend upon the creation and not the creator. And sadly, they both remain unsatisfied and unfulfilled. 
I think that you will find that to be true of your life as well. As long as you are depending upon the creation rather than the creator, you will find your heart empty instead of filled. Now this scene, it is a disgusting and dehumanizing scene. It's disappointing too. Jacob is reduced to a stud. He's prostituted by Rachel. Uh, Leah appears almost loveless too. When she meets Jacob in the field, she instructs him and informs him that he's to come into her because she's hired him. She's basically saying, look, I paid top dollar for you. You're coming to my place tonight. I mean, the relationship has been reduced to a commercial transaction. That's wrong on all sides. The conclusion of verse 16 is not at all encouraging. Uh, The language of so he lay with her that night is language that the book of Genesis uses to describe unloving illicit, forceful relations. It is so deeply sad. And yet, the Lord brings good from this terrible situation. In verses 17 to 21, tells us that God listened to Leah. Do you see that? Clearly, Leah had been praying again. She had been crying out to God with her cares. She had been begging him for children, and he generously gave her children. Leah had been casting her cares Upon the Lord, because she realized that he cared for her. She cried out to God with her cares. And my question is, do you? Do you do the same thing? Don't, don't develop a plan and then back it up with prayer. Make prayer the first part of your plan. Prayerlessness reveals where we have placed our hopes upon ourselves and our wisdom. And we just hope God will go along with it. A prayer Crying out to God with our cares reveals that we placed our hopes on God and upon his wisdom and power. Leah, she called this fifth son Issachar, which sounds like the Hebrew word for hire. Uh, Leah's, I mean, just imagine Issachar on the playground having to tell his friends where he got his name from. It's, It's awful, right? Leah's reasoning here is distorted. And I think we're supposed to read verse 18 And say like a a sanctified southerner would, bless your heart, Leah. That's that's just not right. I mean, God didn't give her Issachar because she gave her servant to Jacob. He gave her Issachar because he heard her cry. So we're told there in verse 17. Uh, Moses, I think, is probably trying to show us something of Leah's bad theology. I mean, God is often merciful to people with bad theology. Uh, Yes, sometimes God even blesses people with bad theology. And if you're living here at this moment, and all of you are, as far as I can tell, uh, you've probably had bad theology at some point in your life, and God has been merciful and blessed you too. Uh, You might have bad theology now, and God has blessed you despite it. And I think that Leah's reaction is so instructive because she, she, she basically says that God has rewarded her for what she has done. She basically makes herself the hero. And I think that we're too often ready to do that, to say that we enjoy the blessings because of things that we've done, rather than God's patient kindness, forbearing with our sinfulness, showing immense grace to us in our wickedness. God is so good to answer our prayers. And all of us are all too ready to praise ourselves rather than God. When you enjoy blessings, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I mean, in verse 19, we meet Leah's sixth child. And there's some irony here. Rachel got the mandrakes, right, which are supposed to help with conceiving children. But we're not hearing of her having children. 
She didn't get the children. She didn't get the thing that she really wanted. Leah's getting the children. Children come not by mandrakes, but by the maker. And Rachel should cry out to the Lord with her cares. The name of Leah's sixth child is Zebulun. Uh, His name is related probably to the words for gift and honor. Thankfully, Leah continues to recognize that these lads are from the Lord. But sadly, she remains unloved and is still looking for and longing for Jacob's love. And I think that the Lord reveals his love for Leah yet again as he gives her a seventh child, right? A a number related to completion or wholeness and perfection. This daughter's name is Dinah, which is likely related to the concept of justice or judgment. Now, interestingly enough, Moses actually doesn't give us the explanation for Dinah's name here. He's done that for every other child in the passage, every other name, but not for Dinah's name. And this probably kind of piques our interest and prepares us for what's going to happen with Dinah later on in the book of Genesis. But, but let's just step back for a moment and take in all these children, right? Isn't it surprising that God has given children to all of the women who are unloved by Jacob? I mean, it seems, we know, we know that Leah was hated by him, unloved by him, but the servants appear to be, just be used by him. And what we're seeing is that the Lord has compassion on these women despite their worth in Jacob's eyes, despite their weakness, despite their wickedness. And we're seeing something else here too, that the Lord is actually fulfilling his promises to give Jacob offspring as the dust of the earth and as the stars of the sky. Through all of this sin, God remains faithful to his people and his promises. These boys will become the, 12, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, the very tribes we're actually listening to and learning from this book as they travel through the wilderness and prepare to enter into the promised land of Canaan. As the people of Israel heard, God grows his people amid their weakness and their wickedness. As the people of Israel heard this story, they should have been humbled by their origins, right? I mean, they should have been humbled by the fact that they emerged from a group of women who were despised and rejected. They emerged from a group of women who were used and mistreated. They emerged from a group of women who used manipulation and misused other image bearers, their servants. They emerged from a group of women who bartered for a man and blessed sinful unions. The people of Israel couldn't point to their purity. There's a real sense in which many of them were conceived in sin. Not many of them were of noble birth. And this teaches us something about our God and the people that he chooses to bless and keep his promises to. In the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 to 29, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence and filled with deep gratitude. As the tribes of Israel were listening to the story, they should have been filled with deep gratitude to God. He chose them and grew them into a great people, not because they were lovely, but because of his great love. The shame of their sinful origins could have overwhelmed them. But these are the people that he set his love upon. These are the people that Malachi chapter 3 verse 17, he calls his treasured possession. And his love should have been overwhelming to them. His love should be overwhelming to you. I mean, the truth is is that you have shame in your past too. Maybe even in your present. That's not to say that Your parents behaved like Jacob and these women. 
But you have sin in your history too. We, we all do. You have sin in your life. Sin that if anyone found out, you would be mortified by. But you know what? The maker, he knows your sin. He knows every dark secret. He knows every depraved deed. He knows every sinful thought. He knows every wicked word that has passed through your lips and even the ones that somehow he knows that you can't point to your purity. He knows that you cannot boast in yourself and yet you are his treasured possession. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. How amazing is the love of God for us. You should cast your cares on the Lord, for he cares for you. Our passage, it shows us that our God is a loving God who is compassionate to people who are thoroughly corrupt. And we should respond with gratitude and thanks and love. And it closes with God's special care for Rachel. Let's consider our final point. Remember that God removes your reproach. Follow along as I read these glorious verses. Verses 22 to 24. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord Yahweh add another Add to me another son. Now, just, just remember the whole passage so far, right? Rachel is not a particularly honorable woman in this passage. And yet, what does God do? He remembers her. Moses shows us the initiating action and love of God in that language. It all begins with God. He remembers her. In fact, when when God remembers in the Bible, in the Old Testament, he's preparing to act, lovingly act for the good of his people. That's what happened earlier in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, when he remembered Noah and brought his family safely through the flood. That's what happened when God heard the cries of his people in Egypt in, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. He acted and rescued and redeemed them from slavery. He remembered them. And here, God stirs Rachel's heart. And she clearly begins to pray. God listened to her, and he opened her womb. This is a mighty mercy from God. I mean, after all, let's remember in detail now what kind of woman Rachel is according to this passage. I mean, Genesis 29, 31 tells us she was barren. But then the opening verse of chapter 30 tells us what? That she was envious and bitter and angry. She yelled at her husband and sought to manipulate him with the threat of death. Genesis 30, verses 3 to 8, tells us she was a, a woman who sinfully subjected her servant to surrogacy. Twice. She's a woman who wrestled with her sister. Verse 8. She sold her husband like livestock. Verse 15. She's totally undeserving of the grace of God, and yet God remembers her. Friend, is God remembering you? Is he stirring affections for Jesus within your heart now? Is he drawing you to himself and teaching you to pray again? Let your heart run to him. Let your heart run to him. He listened to the cries of this wicked woman, Rachel. He will listen to you 
too. God, he had compassion on Rachel. She is in a pitiable state. And he graciously and generously opened her womb. He opened the womb that had been dead for so long. Sometimes God allows a prolonged season of grief so that we might more fully know the profound sweetness of his grace. And that we recognize that it is his grace. Do you see how many times God is mentioned in verses 22 and 23? Then God, remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Do you see what Rachel finally recognizes? It's God's work. God has done it. God has finally taken center stage in Rachel's life. Has he taken center stage in your life? God, he removed her reproach. And Rachel, she, do, she doesn't attribute the birth of Joseph to the mandrakes. She attributes the birth of Joseph to the maker. She, she gets it now in God's grace. Rachel understands that barrenness was a, a curse, that she bore public shame for her inability to bear children. And now God has removed or taken away her reproach. I wonder if you feel like you, you bear some reproach in the eyes of society or people around you whose affections you will seek. The Lord can take away the, the reproach of our sin. That's what really matters in his sight. Oh, friend, call out to him to remove the reproach of your sin. Trust Jesus to take it away. He is able and mighty and strong and he wants your heart. Perhaps he is bringing you to an end of yourself like he pressed Rachel into a corner so that she would call out to him. Call out to him and honor him with your words, your prayers, your faith, your life. There is a wonderful play on words here in these verses. God has taken away Rachel's approach by giving her a son. Isn't that what he's done for us in Jesus Christ? He's removed our reproach by giving us his son. She, she gives, Rachel gives uh, Joseph, the, the name Joseph, which means to add. And as she names him, she, she prays the Lord would add another one. And God will answer that prayer too. In time she will have Benjamin. I think she recognizes the Lord has been view Rachel's prayer in the best possible light. I think she recognizes the Lord has been gracious and she prays that he add grace upon grace. And we should not be ashamed to offer such prayers. As those who have received rich grace, we should pray for yet more grace. And Joseph was a rich grace to his brothers. Right? God would use him to rescue his brothers from famine and disaster. God really is remembering his covenant promises in Joseph. If his brothers, including Judah, died in the famine that we're going to read about later in the book of Genesis, the, the line of Messiah would have come to an end. But God's grace in adding Joseph to the family keeps the line of the Messiah alive, and thus the hopes that one day, fully and finally removing the approach of sin from the people of God. Beloved, as we conclude, I wonder if you are amazed at God's patient kindness with this weak and wicked family. I mean, he compassionately fulfills his 
promises, even as he ministers to each one of them in their particular need, their individual need. Leah is constantly looking to Jacob for love, and the Lord says to her over and over again, Leah, look to me. Leah, look, look to me. I love you. Is he saying that to you? Is he calling you to look to him today? The Lord, he kindly rebukes Rachel in her bitterness. And then in his rich grace, he removes her reproach. Will you not come to Jesus and let him remove your reproach of sin? And then to Jacob, despite his sinful failings over and over again, taking four wives, God kindly begins to keep his promises to make his offspring as the dust of the earth and the stars of the sky. Has not God been kind to bless you? Though like Jacob, you've blundered over and over again. This is our God. The God who compassionately fulfills his promises to us in the midst of our weakness and despite our wickedness. How is he ministering to you today? If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Look to him. Depend upon him. Cry out to him and remember his grace to you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you so patiently deal with sinners like us. Father, we give you thanks that you do not stop calling us to see your love and to receive your love. Father, we pray and ask that you give us hearts that run to you, that depend upon you, that give ourselves up and over to you. Help us to trust in our Savior and our Savior alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.